are on the line. Live on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga and in Auburn on ESPN 1067 or online on FoxSports983.com and ESPNAU.com. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Daw. Join the show by calling in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7000. You are on the line with Lance Daw and Noah Gardner on ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central Alabama. Hope everybody's having a great Wednesday afternoon out there. I sure am looking forward to the Braves-Dodgers matchup later today. Last night, just a heartbreaking loss for the Braves. I've kind of invested myself into uh, Atlanta Braves baseball over the past few months, and I'm really enjoying this playoff series so far. Noah Gardner up in Silicaga at the Mothership. How are you doing today, man? Doing good, man. Welcome to the dark abyss that is Braves fandom. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. So we took two at home. Uh, that it didn't really feel like we should have taken. We walked both of them off, and then last night we had a 5-2 lead, and then we just kind of gave it right back, and I'm hoping that the Braves bounce back in, in some type of desperate way tonight. But, yeah, I, I've, I've come to expect over the past few, few months, I'm like, oh, so it's just a roller coaster. It's the up and down, back and forth, 500, sitting around 500 kind of kind of thing with the Atlanta Braves. So I'm, I'm trying to get used to it. They've been really good in the postseason. I'll say this. You just said they won two that you felt like the Braves may have stolen from the Dodgers. Last night, the Dodgers stole one from the Braves. One bad inning for Atlanta. And maybe you could say the first inning as well. But if you outplayed the Dodgers for seven of nine innings or six of nine innings, that's just baseball, especially when you give up a four-run frame late. You really are going to put yourself in danger. And that's just what happened last night. But – I think it's super important for the Braves to win one of these next two matchups. That sounds really obvious. They need to do something to stem the tide of a Dodgers comeback. You'd like to win tonight to get up 3-1. But likewise, I've said on the show throughout the week, I think it's super important that the Braves win game five just to have some type of momentum to take back to Atlanta to not feel like you're having flashbacks from last season. I also said yesterday that I think it's uber important for the Braves to win this thing in six games and not allow it to go to seven. You have a two-game lead to start this series. Don't allow this thing to go to seven. The Dodgers just have more horses than the Braves, and that's just that's brutally honest, right? They have more horses. They have more arms. They have more bats. They're a better baseball team. That's why they won over 100 games, but – The Braves do have the series lead, and they are still in the driver's seat. They just need to go out and get a win over these next two nights. 334-321-1390 is the number to dial if you want to call into the show. Talk about anything sports-related that's on your mind, or you can text us at 334-564-1840. Want to start off the show here, look, it's the bye week. We're in a little bit of a lull. Auburn's trying to get some things worked on, trying to improve. We've got some mid-season superlatives for Auburn football here. Just going to go through a, a list of like most athletic, most most well-rounded, most likely to succeed in the NFL, all that good stuff. I do want to start there, Noah, with most athletic player overall. I'm not sure. I haven't gotten to take a look at your list yet, so we may differentiate here on a few different players, but who do you think is the most athletic midseason right now? It's somebody that we haven't gotten to see a whole lot of this year, and it's Owen Papo. And I really hate that the Freaks 
And by the way, that's not me calling him a freak. I mean, he is an athletic freak, but that's his Twitter handle. That's his nickname. The freak has not been on the field for Auburn a whole lot this year. And it's really disappointing. And I really hope he can get back out here. But what you thought was just going to be a day-to-day thing for Owen Papo, it's now turned into a week-to-week type of thing. And you hope this bye week can result in him getting back out on the field fully healthy and 100% ready to go for that Ole Miss game because I think he can do a lot of positive things for that Auburn defense against the uber-athletic Ole Miss offense. But this is a guy that we talked about at SEC Media Days who said that he ran a 4-4-40 or borderline sub-4-4-40 at the linebacker position. He's weighing around 210, 220 pounds at linebacker. He can cover a lot of ground. He's got like a 40-inch vertical. That is grounds for most athletic player on any football team and he's doing it at the linebacker spot he's someone that I wish we would have gotten to see a whole lot more of this year because I think he would have really bolstered this Auburn defense and made it better than it already has been this year I hope when he comes back he can help this group take the next step but if you want to talk about most athletic talk about a linebacker who's got nearly a 40 inch vertical and he runs a 4440 He's a machine. Papa was my answer as well. And like you mentioned, we haven't really gotten to see him a whole lot this season, only 15 total tackles for the Tigers. But yeah, he's been literally, like his Twitter handle says, you mentioned it, Noah, he's been a freak for Auburn, just athletically gifted uh, in a bunch of different ways. Like you mentioned, he's fast, he's he's strong, he can jump really high. And in terms of mental, in terms of IQ as a linebacker, he's a very intelligent player, knows how to fill, fill gaps, knows where his assignments are, just overall just a freak of nature really glad that Auburn has him in their linebacking core and hope they get him back soon another guy that I had in mind just as kind of like a sub most athletic guy and we we may talk about him a lot during some of these uh, different superlatives Jarquez Hunter after seeing the way that he runs and just seeing how gifted he is athletically uh, as a freshman I think he uh, he is also an exceptional athlete as well but Owen Papa was my number one answer Jarquez Hunter, super strong. He's lacking a little bit in some of that speed category, but you're right. It's talking about athleticism, he's able to jump out of a gym in cowboy boots. It's that freak athleticism element for Jarquez Hunter as well that on future teams, I think he would fit into this category also. You're right. I had Jarquez Hunter typed at first, and then I deleted it on my show notes, and I put Owen Papo. And I kind of forgot about Owen Papo a little bit because we just haven't seen him that much, but clearly – the guy who call, who is called the freak, Owen Papo, fits this category really well. Let's move on to another one. Most well-rounded Auburn Tiger. This one, I think you could go in a couple of different directions. I have one for offense and one for defense. I'll just give my defensive one first, and then if you don't say the other guy that I think uh, both of us would agree is well-rounded, then I'll add him too. But I'm going to go Colby Wooden. What we've seen from him up to this point, he's a team leader in sacks right now, or he's tied for the team lead with four. He's also got seven tackles for loss to his name this season, so he's also helping out in stopping the run. In addition to that, two pass breakups. I believe he's also blocked a field goal this year, 32 tackles out of the three-man front. That's just not normal for someone playing defensive end or defensive tackle on a three-man front. For them to be gobbling up that many tackles, that is special. 
Colby Wooden is well-rounded in the sense that he is both a great run stopper and he is a great pass rusher. I think he is the perfect embodiment of that on the defensive side of the football for Auburn. I think you could go Colby Wooden, and I think you could go Derek Hall as well. Those were the two guys that I had written down, both of them similar statistics in terms of total tackles and sacks, 32 tackles for Wooden, 31 for Hall. Both of them have four sacks apiece, but you hit the nail on the head about Colby Wooden. He's a great run stopper, and he's a great pass rusher. Auburn's got that utility guy that they can kind of put anywhere on the line and kind of use Wooden in a bunch of different ways. He's versatile. He's talented. He's not the the most athletic player on this roster. I think you got to give that to Papo, but he is doing a lot of different things really well for the Tigers right now on defense. Who's your offensive guy? John Samuel Shanker, and I don't think you yes. can really go in another direction on the offensive side of the ball for someone who is well-rounded because John Samuel Shanker can play tight end attached to the line of scrimmage or off the line in the slot. You can also put him in the backfield as a fullback. He's shown how good he is with his hands to be able to catch the football. In addition to that, he's been really key in run-blocking situations for Auburn, key run-blocking situations for Auburn. We talked about that yesterday, about how Auburn's rushing attack hasn't put up gaudy numbers over the last couple weeks, but they've been able to convert in short yardage situations they've been able to get the key yardage when they need it most with the exception of that Georgia game they've been good at doing that and a lot of that comes down to when Auburn needs some yards when they get inside the red zone what are they doing they're getting into the I formation and John Samuel Shanker is playing fullback and he is one of those lead blockers every time as far as well-rounded is concerned on the offensive side of the football, he can catch the ball, he can block, he can play fullback, he can play tight end, he can go and play a big, big slot position as well for Auburn in the passing game. He can do a little bit of everything. John Samuel Shanker has been an has been an absolute star this year on the offensive side of the ball, and I can't say enough good things. In addition to that, talking about well-rounded, he plays baseball too. He's a multi-sport athlete. You hit the nail on the head in a bunch of different ways there with John Samuel Schenker. I completely agree with you. You talk about the versatility with Colby Wooden and all the different things he's able to do, talking about him being the most well-rounded on offense. Like you mentioned, John Samuel Schenker able to run block, able to catch, able to do a bunch of different things for Auburn. The only thing that we haven't seen him do, like what Chandler Cox did, was take a, cat, or take a snap out of the Wildcat and do a pirouette. We've yet to see that. I don't think we're going to see that. But yeah, John Samuel Schenker, most well-rounded player on the offensive side of the football, in my opinion, most likely to become a coach. This could get interesting. I've got several names here, but I'll just throw one out there. And if we want to kind of venture around, because I don't see too many guys on this football team that really fill that. I was having a really hard time, so I kind of played the field here. But I'll say on the defensive side of the football, Chandler Wooten. Yep. Very well-spoken player, a team leader vocally and with his play. He's playing one of those key linebacker spots, has to understand the defense. He's a veteran. I could see him coaching linebackers one day. He's flying around to the football, second on the team at tackles right now. you got to understand what you're doing on the defensive side of the ball if you're doing that. Chandler Wooten was one of the first guys who came to mind. That was the first person that I wrote down as well. I wrote down McLean as well because I think that he would also make a great coach. Look, any of the linebackers in terms of their their leadership and their vocal ability to kind of communicate with the team really speaks to me in terms of their coaching potential. Now, like you mentioned, do I think a lot of these guys on roster could potentially end up being a coach? 
I don't really know if that's going to be the possibility. I think John Samuel Schenker could also be a guy that ends up as a coach one day. I think Shedrick Jackson could also end up as a coach one day. He's been kind of one of the, the, the veteran leaders on this roster, and while he's not been the most productive, he has been able to kind of carve out a role in terms of leadership. But you, you could kind of go go around the, the roster and pick out different specific names and, 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 and cite potential in, in a bunch of different players. Some other guys that I threw out there, Nick Brahms on the offensive line, Mm -hmm. center position, you got to be smart. He talked about football IQ and how Will Friend has been teaching him a lot about the game. Uh, It also feels like I see on broadcast throughout this season, he's one of those academic honor roll kids that gets on the TV because he's one of the guys with one of the higher GPAs on the football team. Outside of that, you got to go look at the quarterback position for Auburn as well for future coaches because that's what ends up happening a lot of times is – coaches ended up being former quarterbacks Bo Nix's dad is a coach right now and Patrick Nix if Bo doesn't have a future as a NFL football player I could totally see him as a coach he's another one that came to mind as well as Grant Loy because he's the one wearing the headset on the sideline every Saturday and he's the one calling in the plays from the sideline and helping getting in the signals so those were just some of the other names that I was thinking about for that category I'm not mad at any of those I I, I like all of those as well Let's get to another one. All right, most swag. I have one for the offensive side of the ball and the defensive side of the ball. Oh, man, I'll tell you. I was sold on my answer here. It's off the charts when I saw him walking through Tiger Walk Mm -hmm. for the Georgia game. You know exactly where I'm going with this. Jarquez Hunter has the – undeniably, Jarquez Hunter has the most swag on this entire football team. For the Georgia game, going through Tiger Walk, he had like a maroon suit – Clothed in maroon, head to toe, or maybe not head to toe, but just, you know, top end pants. And then he had a cowboy hat. And I was like, oh my gosh, this guy's about to go and run over somebody. Of course, that didn't end up happening in the Georgia game. But if you want to talk about swag, let's go with the running back who jumped over a guy in Saquon Barkley's house, the man of the hurdle, and in Happy Valley. I just, I don't know if you can go somewhere else on offense with Jarquez Hunter. As a freshman comes onto the scene, already now holds the longest run in Auburn football history. Swag levels off the charts for Jarquez Hunter. Also the name, just uh, unreal. 100%. Yeah, I, that, that's, what I, that's what I was going to cite. His ability to rock a cowboy hat is unparalleled by, by anybody. Smoke Monday was the guy that I had on the defensive side of the football. Jalen Simpson is an honorable mention. Smoke Monday is just kind of a swaggy kind of guy. He's just kind of vibing in the secondary, you know. So I can appreciate that. I can appreciate the armbands that he wears defensively I think he's 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 got the swag award smoke Monday was one that I didn't even think about but that's a good one he's always got the trash talk on the defensive side of the ball also the name smoke would lend a hand to believe that he has a lot of swag so I'm with you it's off the charts there's some guys on this team that just it is off the charts Owen Papo I think has a ton of swag talk about guys going through tiger walk and they just look scary Zacoby McLean has to fit into this category that is somebody that I think opposing offenses that when, when a running back gets tackled and he ends up at the bottom of the pile with Zacoby McLean, that's the stuff of nightmares. Zacoby McLean is scary. I think that fits in there also. I mean, there's so many guys on this on this football team, also on this defense, that just gets you pumped up. And uh, this has been a really fun bunch to watch this year. All right, we'll do one more, and then we'll go ahead and head to break. Most improved draft stock. I'm going to go with John Samuel Shanker, but I do think you can go a couple of different ways here because I don't think – a ton of guys are just jumping off the page right now on this team. If you thought last year 
was a bad year for the NFL draft for Auburn. This year I don't think is going to be awesome for Auburn either, but there is some youth on the football team. So, And I don't expect a ton of guys to be taking the jump to the next level. I'm going John Samuel Shanker. I've talked about this a lot in terms of what he has shown versatility-wise on film. His hands have been a major question mark for us and any of these tight ends really, because they just hadn't had the football thrown to him. So how are you going to make it to the next level if you're not catching passes in college? Well, he's caught passes in college. In addition to that, he's shown the ability to play in the slot, on the line, out of the backfield as a fullback. He's shown his ability to block. I really think he's flourished. I think he's done enough to actually make money on draft day to get drafted. If Chandler Cox was drafted, I think John Samuel Shanker will be drafted as well. I'll say this. This is a really early time in the draft cycle to be projecting stuff like this. Teams aren't even thinking about it like this yet. They're just now beginning to get guys on their radar and, and they're still compiling information on all these different players. They're not even slapping round projections on dudes and things like that. They're just compiling scouting reports. I'll tell you, I'd be shocked if John Samuel Schenker, if he's not drafted this upcoming year I'll or whenever he goes to the league, I will be shocked because I think he's done enough and I think he's put enough on film at this point to garner getting taken in the draft. He won't be one of the first tight ends off the board, but for an Auburn tight end to get drafted, he at least made some money, whereas he would have been an undrafted free agent or he wouldn't have got picked up at all. That's what I mean by he's improved his draft stock. He actually has some now. I, I really like that pick. Shout out to Mike Bobo's scheme for allowing these tight ends to kind of get more involved in the offense and actually kind of prove themselves in terms of their athleticism and what they're able to do outside of just run blocking. I've got two more here. Chandler Wooten and TD Moultrie, I think, are two guys that have improved their draft stop. Look, Wooten didn't play last season, and this season he's Auburn's second leading tackler with 52 tackles. He knows the scheme. He seems like, one of again, one of Auburn's leaders on the defensive front. I can see him, whereas last year I wouldn't have known if he would have gotten drafted I can see him getting drafted somewhere between the fifth and seventh round now especially if he continues on with the way that he's been playing and then TD Moultrie you know he's been out for a few games I believe he's going to be back for the Texas A&M game that's not 100% confirmed but I believe that is that is the case three sacks in the limited action that he's seen so far this season when Auburn gets him back I'm sure he's going to improve those statistical numbers and I, I think he's a guy that also I think some NFL teams will be looking at. I think you could say Bo Nix as well. Now, people need to understand and qualify what I'm saying here. He really didn't have any draft stock either going into this season. But we have seen some things on film the last three weeks that should give you confidence at some point Bo Nix will get drafted. It's fair to think, and you and I were in this boat as well, that it was done for Bo Nix after that Georgia State performance. But he has found a way to rejuvenate and reinvigorate his career. And I think he's beginning to take some exponential strides forward as now his receivers are helping him out in the passing game. Also, I don't think he's going pro after this year. I don't think that he's done enough by any means to do that. Also, this is a relatively, this isn't a great quarterback draft class, but there is some opposition to where you could maybe wait another year go next season where it still probably won't be a great quarterback draft class and you honestly could put together a, a full season of a solid body of work and you could see him get drafted I think he's doing some more NFL like things than we've ever seen in his career at this point it's just all contingent on him continuing to get better 
Once again, I don't think he's leaving after this year, but I think he's at least beginning to show some type of potential to get drafted. Will he even be a good NFL player? I don't know. I'm not even ready to venture out that far. I don't think we've seen enough of him just yet to know that or at least enough development from him at the college game to know that. But I do think that we are seeing him progress forward in ways that could see him get drafted before his career at Auburn's done. I definitely think it's a possibility. And if he's going to continue to have performances like he did against Arkansas this past weekend where he's making the right decisions, he's putting touch on balls, he's being accurate, he's hitting the deep ball, I think that a lot of NFL teams will definitely, at the end of his career at Auburn, will will definitely at least give him a look. I think it's definitely possible. I would, I would agree with you in terms of his draft stock and where it was at. I would say that it's improved uh, halfway through this season. We're going to take a quick break, and on the other side, we're going to continue to give out our Auburn's midseason season superlatives you're listening to on the line back on on the line lance daw noah gardner here with you on espn 106.7 and fox sports central alabama on the other side of this break at 2:30, we've got justin ferguson of the auburn observer joining us but right now we're going to keep it here with our mid-season superlatives noah back to it most likely to succeed in the nfl Roger McCreary's the mm-hmm. way that I've got to go immediately at this point. Owen Papo dealing with some injuries right now. Tate Bigsby down the lines, another guy that I'll address in just a moment. But I think Roger McCreary, we're beginning to see a track record in the NFL of Auburn quarterbacks being successful. Carlton Davis, Jamel Dean, Jonathan Jones, just to name a few that are continuing to play major downs in the NFL and are playing major roles and valued roles in their NFL organizations. Noah Igbenogany was a first-round draft pick a couple of seasons ago. You can see the track record over the last four or five seasons laid out for these Auburn cornerbacks and Roger McCreary, I think, looking at what he has done across his Auburn career, and I think you're beginning to see Roger McCreary improve on a game-to-game basis. Brian Harson today spoke on the SEC coaches teleconference, said the exact same thing about Roger McCreary, that he's been getting better on a game-to-game basis. He's got an 88 or a little bit over an 88 pro football focus coverage grade. He's been really good. Only 44% of the passes thrown his way are hauled in for receptions. Opposing quarterbacks have a 44.2 NFL passer rating when they throw his way. That's just grounds for this guy's going to be really good or at least a serviceable starting cornerback in the NFL at the next level. He's a good man-to-man physical corner. He's coming along in zone coverage. He is not the problem with this Auburn secondary right now. I know there's been some gripes, some complaints about the Auburn secondary. Let me assure you, Roger McCreary is not the issue. He's been great this season. I agree. I think he's Auburn's best NFL prospect right now. And like you mentioned earlier, you know, if everybody thought that last year's NFL draft class was going to be bad, I don't know if Auburn has a lot of NFL guys on roster right now that will make it and have long-term success in the NFL. Of course, that's up to whether or not, you know, maybe there's some hidden gems on this roster. I would say Roger right now is the is the clear front runner for most likely player to succeed in NFL in the NFL. And it's for all the reasons you listed there. No, he's great in coverage. He's picked off a couple of passes this time. He's smart, he's intelligent, he's gifted athletically. I think he's going to do just fine once he gets to uh, to the NFL. Best newcomer on the roster for Auburn. I've got two. I've got two as well. I'll say this. I think the clear answer, and you may disagree with me, I know because we have two of them, but I think easily for me, the number one on that list, I just wanted to mention the other one, the number one on that list has to be Jarquez Hunter, right? 
Yeah, it is 100%. Break that down for me. I've been going on and rambling for a lot of these. You tell me why you like Jarquez Hunter so much. It's been so refreshing for Auburn fans, I feel like, because over the past two or three seasons, they've not had a backup halfback that has been incredibly consistent. And I don't want to knock on Sean Shivers too, too hard, but I mean... If you're going to go out and you're going to get a guy that can kind of be that change of pace back and can be able to sustain drives for you, I'm not saying that Sean Shivers is 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 not that. We've seen this coaching staff kind of steer away from that and use him in different ways that have been incredibly efficient. But I think Jarquez Hunter coming in, averaging 8.6 yards per carry, almost 500 rushing yards in seven games so far this season, three touchdowns like you mentioned earlier, the longest run in Auburn football history. This is your backup halfback. It's been really refreshing to see that be our second best guy in the running back room, to think about that. And to think about the fact that Damari Alston, by the way, is coming in next season, this backfield is going to be phenomenal, I think. But Jarquez Hunter coming in, nobody really expected a ton from him. He was a late pickup, Mississippi Mr. Football, really gifted athletic, athletically. Everybody's kind of talking about, oh, he can dunk in cowboy boots. Oh, he can squat 600 pounds. But nobody was ready to label him what he's become, which is a, a phenomenal football player, and he's only played seven games for Auburn. Best newcomer for me. Uh, 100%. And then my other guy, and you may have somebody else, Noah Ekuliota, the transfer from Northwestern, four sacks already uh, for the for the Tigers. He's been incredibly efficient while uh, while uh, TD Moultrie has been out. And I think it's going to be interesting to see how this coaching staff approaches that. Right, whenever whenever uh, Moultrie eventually comes back for the A and M game, do they keep Ekuliota in? Do they keep Moultrie? Or do they bring him back and have him start? I don't know. I just know that Ekuliota was not somebody that I was incredibly high up on this offseason, and he's come in and he's he, he's uh, he's had some production. I don't know how I missed Ekuliota. I had Tony Fair written on my list, who I've also been uber impressed with because I think he's gobbling up a lot of space in the middle of that 3-4 defense that is allowing these two inside linebackers, Jacoby McLean and Chandler Wooten this year, to both have already combined over 100 tackles. They've got 105 tackles combined, and you don't do that without having a good nose tackle. Tony Fair has been really good. He's going to be the unsung hero of that defensive line because of the position that he plays. He's not going to get a lot of stats. He's not going to get a ton of tackles, a ton of tackles for loss, because that's not his job. His job is literally to make things ugly in the middle, to hold those two gaps, to hold the point of attack, and allow these linebackers to go and fill the gaps. Just don't get pushed back. And I'll tell you, it's hard to push back someone as large as Tony Fair. He is not being talked about enough when people break down this Auburn defense. I think he's played really well in the interior of that defensive line. But man, how did I forget about Ekuliota? Because over the last couple of weeks, he has really flourished as a pass rusher. And I just saw something on Twitter just a few moments ago, and I'll be sure to bring this up and give the right credit where it's due. But I did just see something on Twitter that said that Colby Wooden has the highest pass rush success rate of any power five defensive lineman when quarterbacks have a traditional drop back, which is three plus steps. Fantastic. And that's college football film room on Twitter at CFB film room that gave out that stat. We've got Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer on the other side of this break. Stay on the line. More of the show when we come back.
Back on On the Line, Lance Dahl and Noah Gardner here with you on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. We've got Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer on with us today. Justin, how are you doing? I'm doing well. How are y'all? Doing fantastic. Wanted to start out this segment here with a couple of questions about the basketball team. You put out a fantastic article just a few hours ago about how this team could statistically improve defensively now that the, we've got all of these new faces on roster. Take me through what Auburn is going to do this year to kind of get better defensively. Everybody knows last year it was just kind of a hodgepodge in terms of defensive effort. Yeah, it, it, this is a defense that's going to look, I think, a lot more like a traditional, you know, college basketball defense. You're not going to see, I don't think, quite as much, you know, high pressure. They'll, I mean, they'll 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 press it at times and they'll, you know, do some different things at times. But this is not going to be the, you know, in your face type of Bruce Pearl defense that you're kind of accustomed to seeing. And it's because they have all this size down low. They've got athletic big men, uh, but they like the rim protection they've got. Um, you know, Bruce Pearl said the closer we are to the basket, the better we look on defense. I think you could see some zone use kind of situationally. Um, this was a defense for Auburn last season that could get blocks, um, but wasn't necessarily great at stopping guys around the rim. I feel like with Kessler, uh, Jabari Smith, um, you know, and, and, and the continued improvement of guys like, you know, Stretch Akinbola and Dylan Cardwell and Jalen Williams on the defensive end, uh, that, that this could be a really good unit down low and then in the backcourt you know one of the big things Auburn had last season is with all the injuries and all the turnover uh in the backcourt wasn't a great perimeter defense they'll have to get Alan Flanagan back you know before they hit kind of full full peak of what they can be uh you know as as a as a backcourt defense but um Zepp Jasper is 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 an elite defender at the college level and has proven proven in the last few years at college Charleston Katie Johnson uh, one of the best steel guys in the entire country uh, comes in, and uh, you know they're they're seeing progress from Devin Cambridge and Chris Moore, who will be tasked with replacing Flanagan early in the season um, on the defensive end. And so I think you know there's a real potential for this defense to be, you know, even though they won't be like high turnover, um, you know, type of defense. I don't think it's going to look more like a traditional defense. They'll be able to defend a lot of different types of offenses in a variety of ways uh, because of the size they have in the front court and the experience and just you know just raw defensive ability they've got uh, with some of the pickups they've made in the backcourt. Which Tiger, other than Jabari Smith, do you think has the best chance of landing on one of these All SEC teams when the year is done? Uh, uh, Walker Kessler makes the most sense uh, just because you know last season at um, North Carolina, his, his per you know forty minute numbers, if you uh, extrapolated them out, were absurd. I mean, they were he was one of the best you know scorers, rebounders, uh, defenders, you know, in steals and blocks in the entire ACC and the entire country. Really, um, he just didn't play a ton of minutes, and so that efficiency probably won't last as much into the S in, in, into a starting role in the SEC. But man, if he, if he is anywhere close to what he was in North Carolina with starter quality minutes, man, that's a, that's a superstar center right there. Um, so I think Kessler, you know, has a really, really good chance of, of taking this league by storm this year. And I think another one that you can't overlook uh, by any means uh, would be uh, somebody like Katie Johnson, uh, last season, same kind of thing with him. He didn't start for Georgia, 
Um, but he was a high level scorer, 99th percentile in points, uh, you know, points per possession, basically when he was on the floor and one of the best steals, uh, guys in, in the entire league. He's got SEC experience. Uh, he is a, he's a gifted scorer and defender. He's the type of guy you want to get the ball in his hands and, and, and you know, let him attack. Uh, and then he can attack on the defensive end as well. So, um, I think there's a lot of really good talent in the league, uh, in the backcourt, especially a point guard at some of these schools. Uh, but I think that two guard spot, uh, you know, the guys who are going to play that, that, that combo kind of position like Katie Johnson, uh, could have an opportunity to turn some heads. And we know kind of like the same thing with Kessler, um, you know, as good as he played last season, what does he do when he gets even more minutes? I know that there's going to be a lot of different fan favorites out there like Jabari Smith and Alan Flanagan, but for you personally, who are you going to be watching the most on this basketball team? I, I just think, you know, Smith is the obvious answer here and Kessler is another one because not, not only is uh, Auburn, I mean, those are two guys that Auburn has never had. You know, you've never had a six foot ten player who can play face up and shoot like Jabari Smith, period. Like, no one's, Auburn's never had that. Auburn's never had a athletically gifted and are offensively gifted, I should say, of a seven-footer as Walker Kessler ever, period. I mean, Auburn's had some outstanding you know, players over the years, All-Americans, got a Hall of Famer in Charles Barkley. These two dudes are straight-up different uh, than, than anything I think Auburn's ever put out on the floor. So those are the two easy ones. But the one I'm really curious at watching this year um, is going to be uh, Wendell Green Jr. because Wendell Green has been compared to Jared Harper since he stepped on the floor for the first time at Auburn in practices. This is a guy who can shoot it from anywhere uh, and is confident from shooting from anywhere. He is a smaller, feisty guard that's got an explosive first step uh, and just has a really good mind for the game. Um, you know, Auburn's backcourt will be fun to watch. They'll rotate that Jasper, I think, is an, an, an excellent two way addition for the Tigers. Um, but if Wendell Green can get hot early this season and start doing some of that Jared Harper kind of stuff that, that uh, Auburn fans really love to see, uh, I think he'll be a fan favorite very quickly. Auburn basketball was predicted to finish fifth in the preseason SEC media poll. Where do you have the Tigers finishing, or is it around that same spot? Probably around that same spot. It, it's tough. It's tough because I think Auburn talent-wise, has a roster that could rival uh, pretty much anybody in the country. Um, but it's just inexperienced, and they have not played together yet. And there's more returning experience at some of the teams ahead of them, like Arkansas, Tennessee, and Alabama. Kentucky, obviously, uh, not only brings back talent, but they, they hit the transfer portal harder than anybody else in the country, I think, and getting quality pickups. So, yeah, I think I think the case here is, you know, for, for Auburn, um, fifth in the SEC – is not a knock by any means. Like we know because we know this roster and we know this talent level um, that they are capable of, of, you know, being one of the best teams Auburn's ever put out on the floor. But if you're looking at it from a preseason projection standpoint, you got to, you got to prove it, right? You got to, you got to put it out there and put it out on the floor. And this is an Auburn team. If you remember, you know, had a losing record last season. So the fact that Auburn was straight to finish fifth, I think, shows that they've got a lot of respect for the talent and that Bruce Pearl will figure it out. Um, it's just got to get done. And so the Allen Flanagan injury throws a little bit of a wrench in that. You know, um, I think Auburn's capable of winning the SEC this season, the regular season. But I think the more realistic 
projection for them is to finish in the top four, a little spot higher than, than where people have them projected right now, and you know get that double buy in the SEC tournament, play your best basketball in March, and see where the chips fall because I think this is an SEC that is going to be an absolute bloodbath of, of basketball this year, and um, whoever comes out on top is going to be really, really good. But I think the teams right behind them are going to be, you know, capable of making it to the Final Four because just that's how much talent and depth this league has. Switching to uh, switching over to football now, it's obviously a bye <laughs> week for Auburn. A lot of things the Tigers are trying to work on right now. What's the most important thing that Auburn needs to work on in this bye week to kind of prepare for the Ole Miss game a couple of weeks from now? Yeah, I think um, this extra time to watch and prepare for Ole Miss's offense is going to be big. Um, this is kind of a one-game-at-a-time kind of thing for this team. Uh, not only is that Brian Harson's M.O., but really, like, this is kind of the way the schedule sets up as well. Like, you can look ahead and say, well, if things work out for Auburn, they could be playing for it all in the Iron Bowl later this year. Um, but really, the way the schedule builds up, you just got to take it one at a time. And so I think we have seen the Derek Mason defense um, respond well in certain games and make adjustments. Uh, show some strength and some growth in some games uh, where they've had some issues. Um, and so against a team like Ole Miss, you want to have that kind of firing from the beginning. So I think, you know, the big thing for them is getting this extra time to game plan, to diagnose and figure out, hey, here's how we're going to slow down Ole Miss's, you know, offense. Because Ole Miss's offense is, is amazing, but they're not unbeatable and they're not unstoppable uh, either. I mean, you look at, you know, obviously Alabama gave them a really hard time a few weeks ago, but you know, Tennessee didn't let them run wild on them last Saturday as well. So what do you do to make sure that you can have that kind of repeat performance, especially at home with a night crowd in Jordan Harry? Between the LSU and Arkansas wins, which game do you think has done more positives for this football team? Oh, I think it's going to be the Arkansas one for sure because the timing of it was such that you get it after Georgia, you pick yourself off the mat after you get really beat up by a, by a fantastic football team, and you show that, hey, you know we can recover and put together a really good win. You get an off week to heal up, to rest up, to get some extra preparation for the tough games ahead. Um, you know, the LSU game might have a little bit more value uh, than we thought, by the end of the season, depending on how LSU finishes this weird year with Orgeron. But, you know, I think I think for Auburn, it was just this was a really big win to go out on the road and to play like you did, have a good start for the first time in a while, uh, and then still have a really good finish when you overcome adversity in the middle of the game. That, to me, is, is a great sign. And so that's going to be one that we'll see how they, they turn it into – you know, their performance next week against Ole Miss and then the next one against Texas A&M. Um, but I think the timing and, and, and the way it went down last Saturday against Arkansas could be a turning point for the whole season. Auburn's offense has kind of had to throw the football a little bit more in SEC competition because their running game has not been as efficient as it was during the course of the first three games of the year. Is that a beneficial thing for this Auburn offense to kind of work out those kinks now and to kind of build that chemistry with, between Knicks and his receivers? Oh, for sure, because I think, you know, the running game is going to click again at some point. I mean, you you just have – and honestly, it might not be in 2021, like – you know that 
Um, you've got Tank Bigsby, you know, has another year of eligibility, and Jarquez Hunter has been a been a revelation early in, in his career. And you've got uh, you've got depth at that position. You just got to figure out how to how to block more consistently up front and get it all kind of clicking again. So the passing game is what has held Albert back um, the last few years in college football and has separated them from being truly a contender um, on a consistent basis. And so if Bo Nix and this receiving group and these tight ends and, and Mike Bobo's play calling can all start clicking, um, you're, you're laying a foundation that is going to make Auburn truly um, a better team moving forward because the running game is great and you have to have you know, a really good running game to be the best offense you could be, but you got to throw the ball. And if Auburn is as efficient and as explosive uh, moving forward as they were against Arkansas, uh, that's a really good sign for their future. So um, I think they can work out the kinks in the running game. they got to figure it out. They're going to have some favorable matchups here, especially with Ole Miss coming up, where they could be able to run the ball. But even if they don't, and they have to rely on that passing game a little bit more, it's a really good way to, to, to build a, a year one offense to show some real deal growth uh, through the air. Justin, we appreciate you taking the time to speak with us today. Tell everybody where they can find all your awesome content. Yeah, AuburnObserver.com. Uh, I had a story, as uh, as Lance said earlier today, on uh, uh, on the, uh, the the Auburn defense in basketball. Um, you know, had a story yesterday on Colby Wooden. I don't, I don't know if people are necessarily talking about it quite as much. Colby Wooden's having one of the best seasons of any defensive lineman in college football this season. Uh, I kind of broke down some of the numbers there with him. Um, you know, film room on Monday. Uh, a lot of kind of going inside the the play design and the and the strategy of some of Auburn's best moments against Arkansas and uh, we'll have a you know podcast up tomorrow in the for the off week um mailbag later in this week and then uh we head over to Ole Miss uh week uh next week so um there's a lot of stuff going on auburnobserver.com uh six dollars a month six dollars a year everything we do gets emailed straight to your inbox Justin I appreciate it my man I hope you have a great afternoon yes sir y'all too that was Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer here with us on the Wednesday edition of On the Line. We'll be back with you to wrap up hour number one on the other side of this break. Wrapping up hour number one of On the Line, Lance Dahl, Noah Gardner here with you on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. Really appreciate Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer taking a little time to speak with us about a little Auburn basketball, a little Auburn football. Would strongly encourage fans out there, if you're listening, to go and subscribe to the Auburn Observer. He's got some fantastic content that he's putting out over there with Painter Sharpless. Great stuff from Justin Ferguson, as always. Want to get back real quick to our midseason superlatives before we wrap up our number one of the show. Best offensive player on roster for Auburn midway through the season. Noah, who you got? I think at this point, I'll say Tate Bigsby, but I do think he's got some competition from Bo Nix after what we've seen over the last three weeks from Bo Nix and then what we've seen out of the running backs, too, which isn't their fault. I think the offensive line and then also what opposing teams have done from a schematic perspective has really been able to hem up what these guys want to do out of the backfield on the ground game. But I think Tank Bigsby, when you look at the stats, maybe not as impressive yards per carry numbers as he had last year, but you see glimpses of it in every ball game of how explosive he is. They've just got to be able to pull defenders out of that tackle box. And right now, 
opposing teams up to this point in the year that just haven't respected Auburn's passing game. LSU and Arkansas got burned. Is Ole Miss going to be the next victim to fall to that? And, you know, honestly, it's getting to this point now where if Auburn could throw the ball as well as they did against Arkansas on a consistent basis, it may get to a point where you have to pick your poison with this Auburn football team. And that's what Auburn wants to do from a multiple standpoint. That's what they mean when they say multiple. Tank Bigsby, those runs, those cuts he was making against Arkansas this past weekend, you know he's still the best player. We all know that. That's why I went with him. I'd like to see him crack 100 yards again because he's not been able to do it for two or three games now. I will agree with you. I think he's the best offensive player on roster. But look, if Bonex keeps to, continues to play like he did last week against Arkansas, like you mentioned, I think that he is our, our best offensive weapon. We saw him do fantastic things against LSU. We saw him do great things against Arkansas. If you're able to do it against Ole Miss, A&M, South Carolina, Mississippi State down the stretch... I'd like to think that without a running back room that's been able to kind of get it going over the past couple of games that at the end of the year we may be saying Bo Nix is the best offensive player on the team. But right now, Tank Bixby, like you mentioned, you still see the flashes. While he may not be able to get it going because teams are really honing in on the run, you've seen the flashes with Tank Bixby of what we saw in his first season with Auburn, the cuts, the physicality, the vision. It's all still there. It's just the matter of getting this offense to open up and, like you said, Noah, again, being multiple. Right, and I think they're getting there. I do think that Ole Miss is going to have to, especially with how poor their defense has been this year, they're going to have to choose one of these two things to focus in on. And at this point, I don't know which one it is. Maybe at this point, see, I, I don't even know. I'm trying to answer that question in my head, and I was about to say maybe they should cue in on the passing game, but then that's going to open up major things against them on the ground. I think Auburn really has at this point set the tone for the back half of this season, these next five games, to where defenses are going to have a really hard time against them. I agree. I, I, I agree. And I'd love to see again. I'd love to see this running game get going because I've seen great things from the passing game uh, in, in that Arkansas matchup. Best defensive player here before we wrap up our number one. Zacoby McLean. Yep. Colby Wooden is also a candidate for this, as Justin Ferguson was mentioning. But Zacoby McLean leading the team in tackles at this point. He is thriving, absolutely thriving in this 3-4 defense. We knew the linebackers were, but without Owen Papo there alongside him, he's been able to eat up a lot of those tackles. And what's funny is Chandler Wooten's got 52 of them. Combined, those guys have over 100 tackles at this point in the year. And this linebacking crew is very much so well on their way to having yet again over 200 tackles, maybe even more than that. Zacoby McLean's a big part of it. He's scary. He's flying to the football. He's fast. He's rangy in the middle of the field. He's really, really talented, and undeniably, when you look at that Georgia State game, you saw what the defense looked like in the first half without him, and then you saw what the defense looked like in the second half with him. You got to say that he's the best player on that defense. That's what I was going to point to specifically is that Georgia State game. We saw Georgia State gash Auburn on the ground in that first half. McLean comes back after receiving a targeting penalty the previous week against Penn State. He comes back in that second half, and he kind of helps the defense rally to get some stops and to let the offense have enough time to come back in. It almost wasn't enough as Auburn had to do it with in the waning seconds of, of the matchup, but Zacoby McLean fantastic linebacker it's a shame that Owen Papo is not there to compliment him thankfully Chandler Wooten has been doing a fantastic job I feel like without Papo out there 
Zacoby McLean, though, 53 tackles on the year. Like you said, Noah, this this linebacking core could get over 200 tackles by the end of the season. He's athletic. He's quick. He's not as big as Wooten and Papo, but he is right there in terms of mental and IQ. He's just a phenomenal player. I think Auburn's got one of the best linebacking cores in the entire nation. If Papo is healthy and McLean has been doing everything that he can to kind of clean up while Papo's been gone. When Papo returns this Auburn pass coverage, Auburn's pass defense will jump off the charts as well. It will improve a lot with him in the middle of the field because that's also something else that I think he's versatile at doing. And he is he's a well-rounded player also. So I'm looking forward to Papo getting back. That's going to do it for our number one of the show. On the other side of this break, we've got Making Headlines. Going to talk a little Atlanta Braves. Going to talk a little Colby Wooden. Got some interesting stuff going on in the sports world. Stick around. Live on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga and in Auburn on ESPN 1067 or online on foxsports983.com and ESPNAU.com. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Daw. Join the show by calling in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7500. Hour number two of On the Line, Lance Daw, Noah Gardner here with you on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. If you want to call into the, the show and give your thoughts on anything sports-related, whether it be Auburn-related, Braves-related, SEC-related, it doesn't matter. 334-321-1390 is the number to dial, or you can text us your thoughts at 334-564-1840. Got our daily making headlines segment here. Going to go through some different headlines throughout the sports world. Auburn defensive lineman Colby Wooden was named co-SEC defensive lineman of the week. And as you and Justin were kind of mentioning there, Noah, Colby Wooden has one of the best pressure rates in all of Power 5 against traditional dropbacks. Right. He's been really good this year, but also it's been a quiet good. And maybe that's just because nobody's talking about Auburn right now. And the narrative that we've discussed about this Auburn football team is one that people kind of wrote them off early and people don't want to admit that they're wrong. So they're going to stick to that. They're going to die on that hill as the season goes along. But Auburn is going to continue to surge up that hill and get to a place in college football, I think that's going to really shock some people by the end of this year. And Colby Wooden is a big part of that on the defensive side of the football. What is making him so special is that he is a well-rounded defensive lineman. He's a force from a physical standpoint. He's the most physically imposing defensive lineman on that team. He's able to help you out in run stopping. He's also able to get to the quarterback. As you pointed out, the pressure rate on traditional dropbacks from opposing quarterbacks, he's able to get that get back there. It's like a 27% of the time success rate, maybe even a little bit more than that. You might have that information right in front of you. But if you break down his stats this year, 32 tackles, seven tackles for loss, four sacks, one fumble recovery, five quarterback hurries, two pass breakups. He's doing a little bit of everything. And what that means to me is he's doing a lot of good. A little bit of everything means a lot of good things. So I like Colby Wooden a lot. And uh, the Arkansas performance that he had was a microcosm of his success that he is having this year on the football field. When quarterbacks take a traditional drop back, which is three steps or more, 
Colby Woodin has the highest pressure rate against Power 5 competition. 27.4% of the time, Colby Wooden's able to get pressure on the quarterback when they take a traditional drop back. He's been phenomenal so far this season, and like you mentioned, no, it's kind of been quiet. Not a whole lot of people are talking about this guy, and I think that's a very good thing to not let the not let the uh, the talk get to you to kind of like fly under the radar. That's where Auburn performs best is whenever not a lot of people are talking about him. They're kind of discounted. Everybody's kind of forgotten about him. It's when whenever Auburn plays their best football, and Colby Wooden is a prime example of that. Alabama's Will Anderson was named SEC Defensive Player of the Week after he got, I believe it was four sacks against Mississippi State. And I love Joe Tess at the beginning of the broadcast saying like, well, you probably won't be hearing any of these guys' names called a whole lot tonight in terms of getting sacks because Mississippi State's offense doesn't really uh, it doesn't really work that way. And then Will Anderson got four by himself. And had they kept him in the game, he probably could have gotten 20. Will Anderson's nasty. This guy's one of the best players in all of football definitely one of the best defensive players in all of football and he is going to be a high value draft pick whenever he decides to go to the next level four sacks on an air raid team two sacks on an air raid team would be really difficult i won't say one sack just because that's football but getting two sacks from one player against an air raid team is going to be real difficult he doubled that and got to four will anderson is the engine that makes things go in the alabama pass rush he is a difference maker on the football field, can turn a game on its head. He's also a versatile player, can help you out at run stopping, excellent pass rusher. I mean, he's right there with the Rashawn Evans of the world and all of the other great pass rushers that have came through the doors at Tuscaloosa. Will Anderson's going to be a problem. You better hope that Auburn offensive line gets better in a hurry. Not saying that Auburn's offensive line has done a poor job this year because it certainly hasn't, but Will Anderson's playing like his head's on fire right now. And he's going to be somebody to watch out for when the Iron Bowl rolls around at the end of the season. There are more players other than Will Anderson that are also having really successful years in terms of getting after the quarterback on that Alabama defense. But that's going to be a fun matchup with those two teams play. And I'm just adding to this. I think Auburn's going to be able to get a lot of pressure on Bryce Young. He's been sacked a lot this year. You pointed out yesterday that Alabama's given up 16 sacks this year. I think that's going to be a fun game, and both of those quarterbacks are going to experience a lot of pressure. And I think also from what we've seen this year, and I want your thoughts on this, I think Bo Nix and Bryce Young have been about as good as any quarterback. Honestly, I think both of them have been better than any other quarterback in the SEC at producing still when they've got a lot of guys in their face and they have a lot of pressure in front of them. Those two have been excellent, even when their offensive lines haven't performed up to snuff well what both of those guys have presented in their offense is poise whenever things break down right Bryce Young is way less of a scrambler than Bo Nix Bryce likes to keep his eyes downfield he likes to try and extend plays slowly trying to not get him get ahead of himself and try and find somebody downfield and complete a pass whereas Bo Nix will take that yardage if he can get it because he's athletic he's fast and he can pick it up both of them I agree with you whenever the pressure's in their face whenever things have broken down they've both handled it I feel like a little bit bit differently but they've both been able to execute at very high levels at least I think outside of the Georgia game for Bo Nix I think he's been able to do it consistently and I think we're going to continue to see that from both these quarterbacks and whenever they meet in the Iron Bowl like you said Noah I think it's going to be a lot of fun because I think both these teams are going to put that pressure on, on, on the opposing quarterback and the question will be who can handle it better Bo Nix has been great in Jordan Hare Bryce Young has not been great in road environments outside of the Mississippi State game this past weekend we'll just have to wait and see that's a good point i hadn't thought about bryce young and his splits between home and away that's a good point and mississippi state's not the most intimidating 
road environment, at least not with this Mississippi State team. I think a good Mississippi State football team, that is a team that I don't want to play in front of the Cowbells because that just mentally wears on you, the Cowbells, over the course of a ball game, even for the fans also. But a Mississippi State team that's not very good, they're, it's not that intimidating of, a, of an environment. It's just more annoying at that point. But if they were really good and it, some of those teams, you know, like the Dak Prescott team in 2014, that was a team that was good at home. Some of these well-coached defensive teams that Mississippi State has had, those are teams that you don't want to play in the home crowd because of the Cowboys. That can wear on you at that point when they're very good on the defensive side of the football. But this Mississippi State team, it's not overly intimidating to play at home. So not shocked that he played well there. I am kind of curious to see, and I don't think they have another – do they have another road game other than the Iron Bowl? I don't think that they do. So we, we've gotten to see at least a nice sample size of him on the road at this point, and you're right, he has kind of struggled. Statistically, you look at him overall, though. I mean, this is about a, of a complete product as you can get from a Bama quarterback. But you look at those road splits. He was 28 of 48 against Texas A&M. They asked him to throw a bunch in that game, threw for almost 370 yards, but still 28 of 48, took a, took a bunch of sacks in that game, threw an interception. And then against Florida, it was his worst passing performance against a Power 5 opponent so far this season, I believe. 240 yards passing, three touchdowns, no interceptions. But it's the pressure. It's the pressure that teams were able to get on the road that kind of caused Bryce Young to have the occasional mistake. Now, not everybody's going to be perfect, but he's almost played perfect as, as in terms of his complete product so far this season. But yeah, it's, in, it's going to be interesting to see how he handles this final legitimate road environment because we saw him against Florida. They almost lost the game. Alabama did. We saw him against A&M. They lost the game. Alabama did. Now you come into the Iron Bowl. It's going to be easily the worst environment that he's going to have seen in terms of just the, the atmosphere and the crowd noise and the tension. It's going to be really bad for this Alabama offense will be interesting to see how he handles himself there. The Atlanta Braves suffered a 6-5 to comeback defeat at the hands of Luke Jackson. Oh, I'm sorry, that says Los Angeles Dodgers, not Luke Jackson, the, the, the Atlanta Braves pitcher in Game 3. Jackson came in, and uh, things just kind of started to fall apart. Atlanta had a 5-2 lead at one point in the ballgame, and I'm not going to pin all the blame on Jackson. It, it, th- things like that happen, especially on the road, especially in, a, in, a, in, a, in an environment like that. Charlie Morton didn't have his best day early, uh, this 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 pitching staff kind of struggled uh, again, like I mentioned, especially late. But it was a comeback defeat, and as we kind of talked about in the first segment of the show, Noah, Atlanta kind of stole the first two games of this series, and the, the Dodgers kind of stole one right back last night. You can't lose games on the road in the playoffs when you have eleven hits. You got to find a way to win, and the Braves, I thought, did a pretty good job last night. Not an exceptional, but I would say a pretty good job of putting runs on the scoreboard. They scored five runs. A lot of nights this year, that might have been enough for the Braves to win because I've, I feel like they've had a good bullpen for – they've had a consistent bullpen for the entire season, and they've had a good bullpen to really good bullpen throughout the entire postseason for them. But last night, one frame is enough for the Dodgers to be right back in this series. It's crazy how the span of three outs, one frame, could change the entire trajectory – of this series where the Braves could have been up 3-0, but a four-run swing changes this thing to 2-1, and with a win tonight from the Dodgers, we're back tied. And the Dodgers have to have a lot of confidence. They're at home. They won a game last night that they were on the ropes with, but they started the game out hot, two runs in the first, had a 2-0 lead. Braves battled it back in the fourth, were able to have a big four-run fourth inning as well themselves. 
And just the big difference there is the Dodgers were the last team to score the runs in this one. They had a big home run from Cody Bellinger, kind of sucked all the life out of it. And then he knew when it was tied 5-5 to that the Dodgers were going to find a way to win. The Braves have to win one of these next two games if they want to win this series. And that's obvious. You don't want to take a 3-2 deficit back to Atlanta. And this brings me back to the point that I made yesterday on the show. And if people disagree with me, I want to hear you call in 334-321-1390. I hate the way that the MLB does the postseason format where the superior seed has two home games, three road games, and the two home games again. I much more favor the NBA product that is two home, two away, one home, one away, one home with a 2-2, 1-1-1 two, two, format. My reasoning for this is those three games in the middle of the series, those are the most pivotal games of these baseball series. Why are you giving essentially home field advantage through the first five games of the series to the inferior seed? Because that's what you're doing. They get three home games out of five through the first five games those are the more, most important games of the series. Of course, that argument changes a little bit when you get to game seven, and then all of a sudden, you know, that's the decisive game. That is the most important, but you have a chance to put series away early on. You have a chance to get major leads early on, and the team that's taking a lead in, a 3-2 lead, is, is all but winning a series in my mind. And being able to build that out, especially if you're able to take one game in the first two of the series uh, while the Braves were playing in Atlanta. That's almost a death sentence when you're going to L.A., at least in, in this series. And maybe it isn't like that for every every series because in this case in the NLCS, you may not necessarily be playing a 100-win team every year. So this year it's kind of amplified a little bit by how good this Dodger wildcard team has been. But, man, I just don't – it's weird to me that the middle games, the most pivotal games of the series, all three of them get to be – at the home field of the inferior seed. Why not reward the superior seed in the postseason? I agree with that, and I think that it should definitely be. To, if, if anybody's going to hear that argument uh, from the MLB, I think they should definitely take it into, into uh, consideration because, like you mentioned, I agree with you. I think those three games in the middle there are the most important of the series you mentioned also talking about how interesting just one inning just three outs in an inning can be so pivotal in a matchup the Astros choose a seven run ninth inning to thump the Red Sox nine to two evening the series with the Sox at two and two and deceiving everyone into thinking that Houston's going to the World Series when in reality Sox and six Sting what are your thoughts is that so I think I, I'm just I was just I'm just saying it to joke with you but for 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 all intensive purposes, I think the Sox right now do have a legitimate shot to kind of take this over after this point. Well, they definitely do because they have Game Five tonight in Boston. But at the very least, the Astros now get a game back yeah. in their home park. What are you predicting for this series? I think I think the Astros are going to take it in seven. I think I think Boston might win tonight or in Game Six. I, I think the Astros have a shot tonight because they have Valdez on the mound against uh, Chris Sale. And the Astros succeeded against Chris Sale. They did really well against him in game one. I don't see why they can't do that again. So, I, I mean, I guess we'll see. I, if, I were to, if I were to place a bet, I would probably say the Red Sox take this one tonight. Noah, what are your thoughts? I don't know. That one is a very interesting series and one that I'm not paying a ton of attention to because of how – hyper-focused we are on what the Braves are doing in the NLCS. But, you know, the, the Red Sox kind of felt like you had them on the ropes and then one big inning from the Astros 
could change the whole trajectory of it. I think whoever wins this game, whoever takes the 3-2 series lead, ends up winning the series. And as Stink said, I kind of favor the Astros after what they did last night in Fenway. Those big momentum innings, the Astros are going to be hot coming into it today. They could also have a hangover. They could come in and lay a little flat after one big inning. You never know. Baseball's a weird game. But I do think whoever wins game six here, or game five, excuse me, I think that team ends up winning the entire series. And there's a huge issue for the Astros too right now because they've got some injuries in their pitching staff. Lance McCullers Jr. is still out with a muscle strain. He's one of the better pitchers in the American League and a key piece to the starting rotation. And without him, that just kind of leaves a gaping hole. And it could be an issue. Who knows? Uh, it's, it's like like you mentioned. No, I'm not paying enough attention to this series, which has been great uh, up until this point right now. Two two all because I've been so focused on what the Braves are doing, and uh, and I'm really excited to see that matchup tonight. By the way, wanted to mention it. The Braves will be playing tonight, and we will have coverage of it right here on ESPN 106.7. We will also have the uh, the Red Sox game as well. We're going to have the Auburn High School Coaches Show following the drive, and then at 6.30 p.m., Braves-Dodgers action will, uh, will, will kick off. So make sure you've got, that, you've got that written down. You've got it on your calendar. Make sure to come back to us. You want to tune back in uh, and, and catch the Braves-Dodgers action. It's been a great series. Again, like I mentioned yesterday, it's been a fantastic series so far. You do not want to miss Game 4. Final uh, headline here before we get to break, Case Keenum will start for the Cleveland Browns on Thursday over Baker Mayfield, who is currently dealing with a shoulder injury. Browns, Broncos tomorrow. Surprisingly, I can't believe I'm saying this, two three-and-three football teams at this point in the year, and the Browns have played a really tough schedule through their first six. Finally, a bit of a reprieve getting to play a Broncos offense that is just simply put not very good in this Browns defense, although that the offense is dealing with a ton of injuries. Jarvis Landry is on IR right now. Baker Mayfield is out. Both of the running backs have their calf injuries with Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb. The offensive line, I don't think, has performed as well. Odell Beckham's listed as questionable. There's a ton of guys on that offense right now for the Browns that are hurt, but fortunately, you're playing a team on the other side that's only averaging 21 points a game. They don't have a ton of firepower. This is a chance for the Browns to get back into the win column and then have a week and a half to get ready for the Steelers after that coming up on Halloween you got a week and a half I kind of favor the fact that this is a short week I know the Browns are a little beaten up at this point but this is the team I would want to play if the Browns were beaten up and you're getting to play at home Case Keenum just has to manage the game score me 21 24 points something like that score me that many and I think the Browns can win this because I do believe the Browns can hold the Broncos to lower than their season average of 21 if the Browns can score 21 or 24 tomorrow night I think they win they get to four and three they stave off what could be a really devastating loss to playoff hopes you don't want to take the fourth loss of the season here against a team that you before the year started you expected to beat the schedule lines up a little bit here for you. You got the Steelers, you got the Bengals, you got the Patriots, and you got the Lions all in order the next four weeks before you got to play the Ravens in back-to-back trips. And a pretty tough last four games, I would say, or last five games, I would say, with the Ravens, Raiders, Packers, Steelers, and the Bengals. The schedule's not easy. We knew that the AFC North would have a really difficult schedule with the fact that they were having to play the AFC West, also having to play the NFC North. Those were the divisions that the Browns got matched up with or that the entire AFC North got matched up with so that you knew that was going to be really difficult this year. But this is one, I will label this as a must win. 
I'm not going to say that Brown's playoff hopes are over with, but there's a ton of injuries right now. The schedule only gets tougher from a confidence perspective and this thing holding on, this team holding on. And this was some people's preseason like AFC championship pick, like that the Browns were going to go that far, possibly even find a way to upset the Chiefs. Like they were labeled as one of the teams that could get past the Chiefs this year. And we've seen what the Chiefs are at this point. And it's kind of anybody's race, I think, in the AFC. The Browns are trying to get their hat back into it. The only way that they do that, I think, they got to win here against the Broncos. And it stinks that they got to do it with their backup quarterback. I know Mayfield was really hopeful of playing in this game, even with a partially torn labrum. Well, guys, that's not optimal for a quarterback to play with a partially torn shoulder. So you're going to see the backup and at least Case Keenum. And I'll tell you, he's got to be one of the better backups in the league. He has significant starting experience, and he was a good starter at that the last time we saw him as a starter. So we'll see what he can do getting back into the starting role for the Browns. On the other side of this break, we've got to uh, we've got our couple of midseason superlatives left, and then we'll get to contenders or pretenders. Uh, the top six teams in the AP poll are any of these teams legitimate, or, or excuse me, two through six. Georgia is obviously a, a contender at this point. We're going to get to those other five teams though, and ask whether or not they are legitimate in terms of their national championship aspirations. You're listening to on the line. Back on On the Line, Lance Dahl, Noah Gardner here with you on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. If you want to call in, 334-321-1390, or you can text us at 334-564-1840. Got two more Auburn midseason superlatives left here for y'all, and then we'll get into, if we've got time, contenders or pretenders. Five of the top six teams in the AP poll, are they legitimate? But first, Superlatives, most unforgettable moment of the season so far. Noah, for me, I'll just go ahead and say mine. It's the Bo Nix scramble against LSU and finding Tyler Fromm in the back of the end zone. It's got to be, right? I put that down and I didn't even have to think about it too long. But also when I did sit there and I was like, well, are there any other candidates? I was like, I don't know if there are any other unforgettable moments of the season if I have to think about it. If I have to think about it, then it's clearly been a little bit forgettable. But that Mm -hmm. one jumps straight to mind. That's kind of the turning point of the season, isn't it? Like that play right there is the moment where Auburn started its ascension to where they're at right now. If that play doesn't happen, does Auburn beat LSU? Does Auburn beat Arkansas in three weeks? I don't know. I think that's definitely something that you have to look at, right? Because it was fourth down. Auburn was desperate. They needed a score. They were down 13 nothing, I believe. They needed to get back into that game, something awful. And uh, that was just kind of a mirac- miraculous moment for the Tigers. And that kind of cha- shifted the momentum a little bit. From that point on, LSU was kind of, kind of trying to claw their way back into it, even though Auburn was still down by six. We want to head to the phone lines now. 334-321-1390 is the number to dial. And Shane is on the line with us. What's going on, Shane? Hey, guys. Um, do you, do you remember, of course, well, hopefully, when Cam Newton was here and we, we played an LSU team? All right. So Cam Newton wasn't, wasn't Cam Newton until that LSU game. I, I vividly remember this one play where he was about to get sacked and, and something happened. And he just like, he turned on his jets and this guy was chasing him to the end zone and he, you know, he got in. From that moment on, Auburn looked, you know, they were looking forward. It, you know, they they couldn't be stopped after that play, is what I'm trying to say. That was a turning point. 
sometimes it's always, I mean, it, it seems like it's always the LSU game that can make or break your season. <laughs> and um, I, I believe, like you guys were saying, the same way, you know, that if that play didn't exist for Bo Nick, then, then we're not we're not talking about, you know, how the season might end for us. We're talking about, you know, still talking about how, why is Bo Nick quarterback, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, I don't know. Yeah, I agree with you. I think we're heading into that Arkansas game asking ourselves after a poor performance against Georgia, you know, are we going to be able to sustain enough offense to kind of contend in this game? And I think we would still be asking ourselves the same question throughout this bye week, right, about Ole Miss and how high octane they are. Will we be able to kind of sustain enough drives to score enough at home to kind of keep up with uh, with Ole Miss? I think that's definitely a question we would be asking. But like you said, he had that moment. He's been building on that moment. This team has been building on that moment. And now you're looking down the road and you're saying Bonix is a starter for sure moving forward. The receivers are building chemistry. This offense is, is, is fleshing out what it wants to do. It's multiple. It's versatile. It's doing a bunch of different things. And you're looking at that Alabama game now. You're looking that far down the road and saying at least we've got a shot let's take care of business now and we could find ourselves at the end of the season playing for the sec west championship uh, yeah a couple more things so we uh one why is why why there's still a faction of people out there that that still hate bo Nix? i mean i don't i don't i don't understand how our how our fans are so against one of their players and this is what if the other guy does i mean i'm sure he's a good you know finley's going to be a good quarterback but what what did he do that's, that's so much better than what Bo Nix has fought through to, to gain this respect. I, I, I believe that 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 you, you you're causing more than you're creating, you know, by by not being behind your quarterback. Right. It frustrates me how how, how our fans, I'm putting quotes up, are 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 still not not backing our team in, in uh, fully. That that bothers me. Um, one one more thing. Um, well. What what do you guys think the the team will look like next year if all these players that are that are uh, second year under Harson uh, come back and like I think most of them are eligible to come back or almost all of them are so if this whole team sticks together just like for one more year it's gonna be it's gonna be a great season next year. I will uh, I'll answer what you said first about Bo Nix and I think that a lot of people are just frustrated with the inconsistencies that we've seen up until this point how much of that is on him personally as a quarterback I think is up for debate but I think people are kind of just frustrated with the roller coaster that has been his career so far at Auburn and I think Auburn fans whenever they don't see and I'm not calling anybody out specifically whenever they don't see a Nick Marshall or a Cam Newton as is at any other program, they start to get a little anxious. They start to kind of say, okay, when's the next guy coming in? When's that new fresh face coming in that could maybe pilot this offense a little bit better? Because this guy is not elevating this program to the level of Georgia, Alabama, even the likes of LSU consistently. So I can understand the frustrations, but now we've seen this season the progression from Bo Nix, right? We've seen him kind of take that step and mature. Right, exactly. From a good quarterback's coach, we've seen him take that step. And we saw this past weekend against Arkansas, 21 of 26 with, with Bo Nix was almost borderline unheard of. The fact that he's able to unlock that potential I think is fantastic. So moving forward now, I think with Bo Nix, you have to be very happy with him and you have to be confident. We'll talk about it on the other side of this break. Really appreciate the phone call, Shane. We'll talk about what yeah, this team will look like 
next season if Bo Nix is able to continue to develop that chemistry with his receivers and with this program. I think there's a lot of reason to be optimistic. Brian Harson's got it rolling right now, guys. Stay on the line. More of the show when we come back. About 30 minutes left here in the Wednesday edition of On the Line. Lance Daw, Noah Gardner here with you. Really appreciate Shane calling in. If you want to call in as well, 334-321-1390. Again, you can text us as well, 334-564-1840. Real quick before we go back to that conversation about what Auburn could potentially look like next season, I want to get Noah's thoughts real quick, but I just want to remind everybody that we will have coverage of Braves and Dodgers beginning at 6.30 p.m. right here on ESPN 106.7. We've also got coverage of Tennessee at Bama this weekend. That will begin at 5. We've got the NCLS tomorrow at 6.30. We've got a lot of stuff going on in terms of live events right here on ESPN 106.7. You guys do not want to miss any of it. Would strongly encourage you to stick around for the drive, listen to what Dan and Bill have to say about what's going on in the sports world, and then tune in uh, half an hour later to uh, to Braves-Dodgers. It's going to be a fantastic game tonight. Noah, I want to get your thoughts on what Shane was saying there about what this team could potentially look like next season with Bo Nix at the helm, talking about developing some chemistry, talking about getting some of these receivers back. What are your thoughts? The biggest concern that I have about next year, and I don't disagree with you guys about the connection between Bo Nix and his receivers and that continuing to grow. We saw what that looked like on Saturday against Arkansas on the road. He looked really good. My only concern is this offensive line Mm -hmm. and how many players come back on that offensive line for next year because they're all seniors. Every single guy on that offensive line right now has a chance to go on and whether or not they graduate, try and go to the league, whatever it may be. Some of them can come back because I know last year gives everybody an extra year of eligibility. We've talked about the future. We talked about it during the summer a lot, and since the season has began, we really haven't dove into it too much but the offensive line is the only thing that scares me a little bit for next year but that could be that could be addition by subtraction Um, you could also be looking at several guys coming to the transfer portal that make it better you could uh, you know see a massive overhaul that turns out to be improvement as Harson continues to get his guys in there so only good things for the passing game that the quarterback and the receivers should all be coming back with the exception of Demetrius Robertson but um, and also there's the Syracuse transfer out there uh, his name's Taj, and I can't remember his last name. But Taj his Harris. Name Taj. Taj Harris. Yeah, Taj Harris, I believe. Seeing tons of stuff of him about him on social media right now. A 2,000-yard receiver in the ACC. I've seen uh, the guy would be a huge get for Auburn if they were able to get him out of the portal. He's receiving SEC interest. Pretty much all of the ACC has offered him a scholarship. If he decided to come to Auburn, that would be a great addition to the receiving core as well. I think the offense takes a step forward next year. I just wonder what the Achilles heel is for this team next season. And if I had to guess, it would still be the offensive line because I just don't know how you rebuild that offensive line that Auburn has right now with how little players. It's not talent. It's not a talent thing. It's a it's a personnel. It is a numbers thing. Malzahn left little, little in the cupboard. Like, no guys after this. No tackles, you know, like – They're having to have a massive recruiting class this year to have enough personnel to rebuild for the future. And one day down the line, you're going to have a ton of seniors again on the offensive line, you know, four years, five years into the future. Hopefully it balances out a lot more by that point. 
But Auburn's going to have to hit the JUCO market. They're going to have to hit the transfer market to get some guys that can help fill out this offensive line. And then with some of their returners and then maybe some of these freshmen, some of these newcomers, you'll be able to piece together something that's as good as it is this year or maybe even a little bit better. And if you could do that with Bo Nix getting better and this receiving court getting better as they build chemistry together also, this could end up being a better offense next season and one that hits the ground running a lot quicker, at least against good competition, than this one did. Could pick up a lot of wins next season. But talking about this season, one more super- superlative. Biggest win of the season so far. You asked Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer earlier in the show, what did he think? Was it the LSU game? Was it the Arkansas game? Noah, which game of the season did you think was the biggest win for Auburn? I think it's the LSU game. And I understand the take on saying Arkansas, which that is one where you talk about liftoff, this team taking off. Yes, 100%. This team now has some serious confidence. Other teams have to take them more seriously. The passing game, that is a big part of this down the line for Auburn is that passing game and the step that it took against Arkansas. If that doesn't happen, then other teams continue to stack the box against Auburn, and it's like, what is this? What does this look like for Auburn from an offensive standpoint moving forward? Would they would they ever be able to score more than twenty four points in an SEC game? So that certainly was answered in the Arkansas game. But I'll say this: you don't even get to the Arkansas game if you don't win the LSU game. At least I don't think you do. I, I think it was so crucial for you to win that LSU game with Georgia the very next week, knowing that you were probably going to lose that game. And, of course, Auburn ended up getting beat handily in that one. If you had started out 0-2 in SEC play, do you go into Arkansas with confidence to be able to do what you did? Probably not. And I think you probably lose in Fayetteville as well. And if you start out 0-3 in conference play, and then this season's you know, you've lost a lot of fans at that point. And you're beginning to wonder, all right, the margin for error for this team with how good Ole Miss has looked, A&M's on a little bit of a resurgence here. How does Auburn get to a bowl game? That's the question we would begin to ask ourselves. We talked about that LSU game as must win, and I still don't think that that has changed three weeks later after the first game, uh, the first three games of the SEC schedule for Auburn. I think that LSU game is the biggest win of the season undeniably. And for the fact also, we didn't even mention there, that Auburn won at Baton Rouge for the first time since 1999. Party like it's 1999, and also think about what that win does for you in future games, in future seasons when you have to go to Baton Rouge, and now all of a sudden that game looks more winnable in your eyes and not as big of a tall task as it has in the past. Dare somebody say that Georgia State was the biggest win of the season so far for Auburn because of the momentum shift it, it, it caused for the Tigers. Had they lost that game, the season would have felt derailed at that point. I'm not going to sit here and say that it was the the most uh, the most important win of the season because I do think that LSU win definitely carries a lot of weight and it also built on the momentum that Auburn wanted going into this final game, final five-game stretch. But I will say... For all the reasons that you talked about the LSU game, I agree, but I also do not want to discount how important it was for Auburn to get over the hump against Georgia State and find a way to come back and win that game because had they not, I don't know if we'd be sitting here talking about wins against Arkansas, wins against LSU, and even uh, being slightly competitive against Georgia. Yeah, and the margin for error to go to a bowl game also is 
much, 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 much slimmer. Right. So that's a good point. I totally forgot about the Georgia State game. <laughs> but LSU, in terms of its because, significance, was like way more important because it's the first time you've won there since 1999. I think in any season, even if Auburn, like like regular season, if they, even if they did some great things in the postseason, you would look at that LSU win and you would still say, man, that is so huge that this Auburn Tigers team was able to accomplish that for the first time since this the, the turn of the century. Well, it's a true testament to how far this Auburn team has come and the strides that they have taken for me to say that I completely forgot about the Georgia State game. That seems <laughs> like that was seasons ago to me at this point, and I know it was only four weeks ago, but for Auburn too, you're right, it has been a stepping stone type of season for this Auburn team. The LSU game doesn't happen if you don't find a way to beat Georgia State. Maybe that's not as closely linked as saying that the Arkansas game doesn't happen if Auburn doesn't beat LSU because I still think that they had prepared so much for LSU that I totally could have seen them still going into Baton Rouge and winning that game with the direction that LSU was going as well. But I do think it's been a stepping stone, get better every week. I think this coaching staff's living up to the things that they say to their mottos. They're saying, look, you got to get better every week. And I think since that moment in that Georgia State game when you hear that press conference and it's like, they asked Coach Harson about the quarterback situation, and, it's, and he, his response is, Auburn football, we've got to get better. And since that moment, Auburn football has gotten better, I think, every week. Georgia's just really good, but I think they've gotten better every week. This team's a legitimate player in the SEC, and I think by the end of the season, we'll be talking about this thing as a legitimate player in the college football playoff. That's the direction I think this Auburn team's heading. You got to take it one week at a time, though, as Justin Ferguson said. In order for you to get into that conversation, talking about this being a stepping stone season, the next level on this, and the difficulty is only getting tougher and tougher on a week-to-week basis, the next difficulty is beat Ole Miss. You beat Ole Miss, go on the road to College Station, win there. If you do those two things, if those two boxes are checked, Auburn is going to be in that top 10, top 8 range of the college football playoff rankings, maybe even higher than that depending on what shakes out in the Big Ten, because all of those teams still have to play each other. Losses will be handed out like candy to the rest of those Big Ten teams. It's about to be Halloween for the next month and a half. Trick-or-treating losses all over the place in the Big Ten. And Auburn's going to have a lot to gain of that if they continue to win. And I think this playoff committee is going to really value what this team has done from the strength of schedule standpoint, from strength of victories, and also strength of losses for this Auburn football team. That SEC championship spot from the Western Division, it's going to be on the line in the Iron Bowl. And I think you've got to really sort some things out against Ole Miss this weekend to try and figure out whether or not you are a legitimate contender at the end of the day. Speaking of contending for the playoff, contenders or pretenders right here want to do this real quick before we head to break want to go through some of these teams in, at the top of the AP poll and just ask whether or not they are legitimate contenders or if they are simply pretending and it's a matter of time before they take a loss. want to start here with number two, Cincinnati. They beat Indiana earlier in the season. They beat Notre Dame, covered in both of those games. And if they win out, I, I'm curious to see. I believe the college football playoff rankings are coming out in like a week or so. Interesting to see where the playoff committee is going to put Cincinnati. If they are in that top two or three, I think if Cincinnati wins out, I think they're going to be locked in but if they're sitting at five six maybe I think that gives you an indication as to how much this committee really values their schedule and the way that they played so far Noah are they contenders or are they simply pretending I believe the college football playoff rankings come out first week in November so I do think that we still have a couple of weeks there but it does feel like it's getting to that point I'll say this 
I am qualifying these contender or pretender as contender for a playoff spot or a pretender for a playoff spot at this point in the year. And I'm going to say that Cincinnati is a pretender. They haven't beaten anybody. They ain't played nobody, Paul. And I think this is true. (laughs) Indiana isn't good. Indiana is not good. And that isn't Cincinnati's fault, but you certainly can't reward them for beating them there either. And I don't think Cincinnati looked good in that ball game either. They've had two games of meaning, and they've won both of them. Sure, give them credit there, I guess. But their best win is over Notre Dame. They didn't look good doing it there either. Notre Dame is going to have some more losses coming their way as well. As long as Notre Dame continues to win, that's going to be a huge bump for Cincinnati. But I imagine Notre Dame is still going to lose some games down the stretch. At the end of the year, their best wins are going to come over Notre Dame Indiana and SMU and people may call me an elitist for saying this but that is not grounds for making the college football playoff I would rather have three SEC teams in the college football playoff I think if they all deserved it I need to qualify that with saying if they all deserve it and there's a world now where you're looking at you could see a two loss Alabama a one loss Georgia and a two loss Auburn like what if that happened I would rather see Alabama in the college football playoff than Cincinnati. And I know a lot of Auburn fans just gasped because that would be like Armageddon if the college football playoff was Auburn, Alabama, and Georgia. And, of course, from an Auburn fan perspective, that's a nightmare, 100%. I, I agree with that. But if from an objective standpoint, if you ask me who the better football team is, I'm saying Alabama, even if they've got two losses. I think Alabama beats Cincinnati. And that's just from the eye test. They've got better players. And they play a better brand of football, and they're tested on a week-to-week basis more than Cincinnati is. I'm going to go pretender. I think it's still entirely possible that they lose a game to someone down the stretch. Uh, Maybe to SMU. Maybe they lose to ECU, Tulsa. Somebody's going to trip them up at some point. But their schedule is even easier than possibly you could have imagined at the beginning of the season. They've got 1-5 Navy, 1-5 Tulane, 1-5 USF. Three and three ECU, three and four Tulsa, and a six and zero SMU squad of their last six games. They got three one and five teams in their own league. In their own league, there are three one and five teams left on their schedule. That is laughable. I do not want to see this team in the playoff. I don't because they're going to lose. Let's get someone in there that's going to make this thing interesting. I think they're pretending right now. But maybe I'm just telling myself that because I don't want to see these guys in the playoff and there really isn't that tough of a schedule left down the stretch. I'm really curious to see where this committee places this team with what they've done. Last year was a precedent. They did not respect teams like Cincinnati last year. Why will they do it this year? That's my question. I think it's going to be similar to the UCF situation in 2017 when these rankings come out. They're not going to be inside that top four or five, and I think it's going to upset a lot of people. But you have to realize what you're saying, Noah. It, it, you have People have to realize that Cincinnati's strength of schedule is just simply weak. It's just not good. It's just not good. They've not really beaten anybody. They need to go out there and have some more proof of the fact that they are a college football playoff contender. I don't think they're going to get it against SMU. I don't think they're going to get it in their conference championship game. I think a group group of five school is going to get excluded from the playoff yet again this season, and I think you're going to fill it with power five spots. I think that's just the way that it's going to roll. Another power five school here that I think could potentially be that team to fill the spot at the end of the season, currently ranked third in the AP poll, 
Oklahoma. Are they contenders or pretenders? And by the way, I agree with you, Noah. I think Cincinnati is a pretender. I'm going to say contender on Oklahoma. I never bailed on this team, not once, even when they were on the ropes. You guys all picked Texas and the Red River rivalry. I picked Oklahoma. I never bailed on this team. I didn't. I said this team would beat Kansas State, not lose three years in a row. They didn't. I have not bailed on this team. I've stuck with them all the way through. And now they've bailed on their quarterback, Spencer Rattler, who, by the way, PFF put out a tweet earlier today highlighting the fact that he no longer has Oklahoma quarterback in his bio on Instagram. It just says quarterback. wonder what that means. Maybe we're all reading too much into it. But Oklahoma schedule, this is what it is. Kansas, Texas Tech, Baylor, Iowa State, and Oklahoma State. Last three games are interesting, but I think they're better than all three of those teams. They could trip up, but then again, you also have the Big 12 championship game. You have the name Oklahoma and a one-loss Oklahoma team this year where there's going to be losses handed out like candy to Big 10 teams. There's going to be a wide-open race for two through four for this year's college football playoff. I think this team is a legitimate contender. I expect them to be in the college football playoff at the end of the year. And um, they may be, if Caleb Williams can continue to improve, they may be one of few offenses in college football that could actually score on that Georgia defense. But the question is, could the Oklahoma defense stop Georgia's offense? Because Oklahoma's defense could be that bad. That's the other side of this. I think Oklahoma is a national champion contender. I really do. Oklahoma still undefeated, still haven't taken that loss yet. And look, after they turn to Caleb Williams, it's not necessarily quantifiable statistically what he's been able to do for the program. But if you watch the team, if you just watch the way the games are flowing, I think you are seeing a much better product out there on the field. I think Oklahoma is a contender. I think they will win the Big 12. And at the end of the day, I think there is a very good chance for them to get into the college football playoff with Caleb Williams at the helm. By the way, it, we should have talked about it making headlines. Spencer Rattler did take Oklahoma out of his bio. He put it back just about half an hour or so ago. But the fact that he took it out to begin with uh, was questionable. Certainly questionable. Interesting things going down there. I was reading some comments about where some uh, fans would like for him to transfer, and uh, I saw a lot of Auburn. I'm not kidding. I saw a lot of people saying yeah. Auburn, and, and uh, I would have to really think about it, but, I mean, it's a former five-star quarterback. I, I would have to think about it, but it, that's not, it's not a detriment, I think, to the roster. Who knows? Maybe Bo Nix decides to go to the NFL. He is engaged, just saying. Could decide to take the next step. He's playing really well. I'm saying that he's really moved his draft stock a ton. I did say earlier that I think he's done enough to maybe warrant a look in the NFL draft if he continues to play like he is right now because he is beginning to show at least some NFL qualities over the last three weeks. But, you know, who knows what that Auburn quarterback situation will look like. But I doubt he ends up at Auburn. I think that's a long shot. LSU's the hot-button place, I think, that people are talking about where Spencer Radler could end up, especially if they could draw Lane Kiffin away from Ole Miss that seems like that would be a match made in heaven and LSU would all of a sudden be very dangerous and a potential SEC championship caliber team, I think, if they added a guy like Spencer Rattler, combining that with Lane Kiffin, that, that would be a nightmare for SEC West defenses. I agree. I think LSU is definitely a, a spot you have to look at as well. Let's take a quick break, and on the other side of it, we'll wrap up the show. Wrapping up the Wednesday edition of On the Line, Lance Dahl, Noah Gardner here with you on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. If you've missed any of the show, 
Go and find your podcast. Where, or go and find the podcast, rather, wherever you get your podcast. Apple, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio. We're everywhere. Go and give us a review. Subscribe. would really appreciate it. To wrap up the show here, Noah, I want to go through one more contender or pretender real quick. Only got about a minute and a half left. Alabama, are they a contender, or do you think they will slip up at some point again in the regular season? I think those are two different and uh, two different questions. I Look, internally, I want to say that Auburn's going to beat Alabama at the end of the year, but I, I'm going to say they're definitely a contender. It's Alabama. They're a contender for the playoff spot, 100%. I don't think you can dive too deep into that. It's Nick Saban. He's got his team playing better ball. The question about Alabama moving forward is, are they going to continue to sustain a level of consistency that we saw for four quarters against Mississippi State? If they're able to do that, then I think Alabama can beat anybody in the country. I really do. They're, they're talented. They're one of the most talented teams in the country, if not the most talented team in the country. They're just not playing as well as Georgia has from start to finish this year. Auburn, I think, can beat them at the end of the year. I really do. Auburn's the only team left, I think, that can beat them in the regular season. But the thing for Alabama, and if you want to say they're a pretender, this is fine. The thing for Alabama is they got to go through Auburn and Georgia before it's all said and done, and they can't take another loss if they want to make the playoffs. So I get it if you want to say pretender. That's what I was going to say. Is like Honestly, I think this team could potentially be a pretender because I don't think they're getting through both Auburn and Georgia, having to play them potentially in back-to-back weeks that's going to do it for the wednesday edition of on the line we'll see you guys tomorrow going to talk some more by week what can auburn do to improve